0: Snuff Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is October 11. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Annika Smethurst. Hello, Annika.
1: Morning, Tom, and Freedom Day for you in New South Wales, is it?
0: Yeah, very exciting. It's also my brother's birthday, so the two are combining in some schooners being drunk at the pub at midday. So I'll be exercising my freedom fairly soon. (laughs)
1: That's awesome to hear. We're still a few more weeks away down here in Victoria, but we'll get to that shortly. Mm.
0: Yeah, we will in the headlines. Just to tell you about the briefing topic, uh, we're talking about fears of a global economic meltdown. We've got surging energy prices, another debt ceiling standoff in the US and a massive property collapse in China.
2: A sudden collapse in the Chinese property sector would hit the price of iron ore, which would hit our tax dollars which would hit the amount of money that the governments can put into services and roads and all that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, so in today's briefing, are we headed for a global economic meltdown? How worried should we be? Um, First here are today's news headlines.
1: Freedom Day in New South Wales, as we flagged there. So stay-at-home restrictions have been lifted for all fully vaccinated people across Greater Sydney after 106 days in lockdown.
2: To everyone across New South Wales, uh, you've earned it. It's been 100 days... Uh, Blood, sweat, no
0: beers. (laughs) Nice line there from the new Premier, Dominic Perrottet. Great moment for him to step into the job. There's a lot of positivity in New South Wales right now. Um, Restrictions have also been lifted in regional parts of New South Wales that were previously in lockdown Um, in Sydney. Um, some businesses, including hairdressers and restaurants, open from midnight to make the most of the opportunity to return to normal.
1: Under the eased restrictions, fully vaccinated people can go to pubs and shops, gathering groups of ten, and they won't have to wear masks outdoors. Indoor settings will still have that four square metre rule, though.
0: But some good news in Melbourne. Um, Dan Andrews announced yesterday that 10,000 punters will be able to go trackside at Flemington for the Melbourne Cup on November 2 and there will also be a big gig at the Sydney My Music Bowl on October 30. These are the sorts of things that are critical to our identity, to thousands and indeed tens of thousands of jobs, uh, and they're a very important part of us opening up. Annika, this is good news, but are these the sorts of activities like the Melbourne Cup and big gigs? that we're going to be allowed anyway once you hit the 80% double vax target?
1: Yeah, look, it's a good thing. We're really happy down here in Victoria. A few more people out and about. But Victoria was due to hit that fully vaccinated double dose at 80% rate that week. It was going to be around November 5. So this is bringing forward a few days. And under that 80% double dose, it was a little bit different to New South Wales. It was going to be up to 104 50 fully vaccinated people dining in restaurants or at pubs. Not a lot was said about big events like this. So now usually there's 100,000 people at the Melbourne Cup. Um, this is a fraction of that, but great to see. Watching it run without a, you know, the public there is really sort of, it's not what Melbourne's about, as Dan Andrews said there. It's the place for big events. So to see them start to come back in early November, I think will give everybody a real boost.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the good news that Melbournians and Victorians needed
1: farmers groups are calling on the National Party for compensation for helping Australia meet its carbon reduction targets under the Kyoto Agreement.
0: The National Farmers Federation and Queensland's Ag Force will address the Nationals' party room and call for support for landholders who halted land clearing to help reduce emissions. And the plea comes ahead of the national meetings next week where the Emissions Reduction Minister, Angus Taylor, is expected to present the long-term emissions reduction plan as the government moves towards the net zero target by 2050. So we're getting more detail here, Annika, of this plan and, and how it's going to go down with the National Party and their constituents as we try and move to this new target and take it to the Glasgow conference in November.
1: Yeah, the National Party are the sticking point, but to think of them as one group sort of united on this is probably wrong. There's many members who are actually in favour of net zero targets by 2050, Uh, not all of them. And the National Farmers Federation itself initially backed that idea in August last year. So this is about uh, the previous pact we signed up to with Kyoto, uh, just coming to Canberra and really virtually, and telling them how that affected them. You'd have to think it's a bit of a a lobbying so that they don't feel left out of the next round of negotiations. And you can't imagine it's going to, I guess, improve the situation in the short term, given the emotion behind this. There'll be a lot of people saying, well, this is what we gave up last time and we're not ready to make huge compensations this time because it affected us as an industry. So Mm. I wouldn't say it's going to put a spanner in the works, but it's going to make the job of Angus Taylor all the more harder.
0: And the US has held its first meeting with the Taliban since the group took over Afghanistan in August Um, But the US government still won't recognise the militants' rule of the country.
1: At the meeting in Doha, Taliban leaders warned American representatives not to destabilise their government, warning doing so would hurt ordinary Afghans.
0: The meeting comes as Afghanistan's new rulers have to deal with a spate of terror bombings orchestrated by the local branch of ISIS.
1: Former Prime Minister Tony Abbott has been lashed by the Chinese embassy. In a statement yesterday, they called him a failed politician and said his visit to Taiwan last week was a despicable and insane performance.
0: Wow, strong words. Um, He travelled there last week in a private capacity um, and he met with Taiwan's president and other dignitaries. And while he's there, he said some pretty strong things. He said that China was a cult of the Red Emperor and that Beijing could lash out disastrously very soon, and several other things that would be very offensive to China, I imagine.
1: His visit came soon after China's government vowed to pursue peaceful reunification with Taiwan, which has regarded itself as an independent country since the 1950s. Really interesting intervention here, Tom. The last Prime Minister that actually had a good relationship with China was Tony Abbott. He visited the country and even hosted the leader, Xi Jinping. So things have really turned around.
0: It seems like this trip was always going to exacerbate tensions, though, with China. I mean, they view even travelling to Taiwan as a bit of a problem, let alone some of the things he said while he was there. So it doesn't seem like he's helped Australia's relationship with China with this trip. Do you think the Morrison government were happy for him to go and make this trip, or they'd see this as a bit of a problem?
1: Look, he did go in a private capacity, but as anybody who's tried to travel in the last 18 months knows, you can't get out of the country unless the government actually approve it. So uh, to say they didn't know, I think, is disingenuous. They would have been tipped off about this at the very least, if not privately given it the nod at another level. They might not have known what he was going to say there. He is a free citizen and he did go in a private capacity. But as you say, just travelling there um, would have been seen as um, quite a, a strong act, especially by a former leader. And it's difficult to imagine that... Tony Abbott didn't have this chat before leaving.
0: All right, Annika, we'll catch you tomorrow. Jan Fran's jumping in as we look at the global economy.
3: Hello, it's Jan Fran here. Now, you might have noticed that there is some... Pretty gloomy economic news around fears of a big global meltdown.
1: The collapse of Chinese property giant Evergrande. Analysts fear the crisis could spread
2: throughout the entire economy. We're now in the grips of an inflation scare.
1: The nation could hit the debt limit and then have very limited ability to manage its cash
3: flow.
0: Wow, the Americans really know how to bring it, don't they, Jan?
3: Mate, they are, <laughs> they're they bringing the drama. That's exactly what I was thinking too, yeah.
0: Yeah, so we're looking at the fallout from Evergrande which is this big Chinese property developer. That's the biggest worry in the world right now. But there's also the US debt ceiling. There's a big spike in energy prices. And here in Australia in particular, there are record levels of housing debt.
3: Yes. So in this briefing, will there be another GFC style meltdown? Tom and I are old enough to remember the GFC that happened in 2008. So do we have anything to worry about this time round?
0: James Thompson is a columnist at the Australian Financial Review. James, thank you for joining us. Why has the Evergrande collapse got people around the world
2: freaking out? I think the big problem is the potential for the Evergrande potential collapse to spill out from the property sector into the wider Chinese economy. Property accounts for about 30% of the Chinese economy. So the collapse of one of the biggest developers possibly could send sort of shockwaves through the entire economy. And obviously, China is such a big part of the world's trade and Australia's growth, particularly, that a sharp slowdown in the Chinese economy would have ramifications right around the world.
3: James, this has been compared with the subprime mortgage debacle and the Lehman Brothers collapse that brought on the GFC in 2008. Are there genuine similarities here in your view, or are we just... Is this the fear talking?
2: (laughs) It's a little bit of the fear talking. I think the similarities are the size. So Evergrande's debts that we know about are about $400 billion. So the potential for a sort of spectacular collapse like Lehman Brothers is definitely there. And then there's that sense that a collapse in property causes a collapse in the the entire economy or a recession. The differences, though, is nobody really saw Lehman Brothers coming. It, It was sort of a shock how deeply indebted they were and how tied into the US economy they were, whereas Evergrande's a bit more of a slow-moving car crash. We've seen problems building up in Evergrande for the best part of 18 months. The Chinese government's very aware of what's happening, and so the potential for contagion, for it to spill into the broader economy, is still there, but the Chinese government has a chance to sort of Put a ring around Evergrande and stop the fallout. For
3: someone like me, who I'm going to say I'm happy to admit it, uh, economics not my strong suit. World markets not my strong suit. Can you just give me a kind of an explanation of how connected the global market is? Because I'm trying to understand the kind of butterfly effect here. A butterfly flaps its wing in China; the rest of the world is impacted. How does it all work? How does it connect together?
2: I guess the best example is the local one. I mean, Australia is a great example. So, properties, 30% of of the Chinese economy. So, building new apartment blocks and selling those to investors is a huge part of how the Chinese economy works. Those apartment blocks are all built with steel, which is made in China by using Australian iron ore the bigger the demand for property, the stronger the price of iron ore. And that flows back to the Australian government. So taxes from our miners are one of the biggest contributors at the moment to both state royalties and to the federal government's tax coffers. So a sudden collapse in the Chinese property sector would hit the price of iron ore, which would hit our tax dollars, which would hit the amount of money that the governments can put into services and roads and all that sort of thing.
0: So the context is concerning as well, I guess, which is why a shock like this could have major ramifications. Part of that context is another standoff over the debt ceiling in the US. Can you explain what the US debt ceiling is and why that could be cause for concern at this time?
2: The debt ceiling is that there's a limit on how much the U.S. government can borrow, and that limit needs to be sort of reset every year or sometimes more regularly than that to allow the U.S. government to borrow a little bit more. The US government's obviously in the last 18 months or so been spending a lot of money to help its citizens through the pandemic, just like Mm. we've been doing in Australia, whether that's through grants to businesses or to people or unemployment benefits. And so they've borrowed more and they need to lift that debt ceiling to keep borrowing more and keep the country running, basically. The crazy part is that lifting the debt ceiling needs to be passed by the US parliament, and so in the Congress and the Senate in the U.S., they have this brawl, which gets very political pretty regularly about lifting the debt ceiling. The problem is that if the debt ceiling isn't lifted, the U.S. government would start to shut down. But even worse than that, the U.S. would default on its interest payments, on its debt, and that would have just catastrophic consequences for the global economy. It it would likely plunge the US almost immediately into a recession or, or something much worse. And then you would see immediate spill out right across the globe.
3: Okay. So we've got the potential collapse of Evergrande in China. We've got the US debt ceiling in the United States, the world's two biggest economies. What else is going on that's making financial analysts a little bit worried?
2: The third piece of the puzzle, and leaving aside coronavirus, which is obviously a huge issue as well, but the third piece of the puzzle at the moment is a sudden rise in energy prices around the world. We're seeing oil prices rise sharply, but particularly gas prices soaring in Asia and Europe. and We're also seeing coal prices rise really quickly. There's a couple of reasons for that. China and Europe particularly have been trying to move away from really emissions-intensive fossil fuel power sources. And as they go through that transition though, they've been caught short, I guess, by sudden spikes in demand related to economic reopenings across the world. So as more factories come back online and people start moving around, demand for energy lifts. And then we've had a particularly cold summer in Europe So there was more demand for heating, particularly. And then in China, there are limits on what Chinese power generators, the prices they can charge Chinese consumers. And so the problem is that the generators, because their profits they can make are essentially capped, they're not meeting the extra demand. And as such, we're seeing this gap between supply and demand open up. So that's a third sort of issue, this sudden crisis in in, in power prices has really come out of nowhere seemingly and shocked the market.
0: I think the reason why articles about financial meltdowns get a lot of clicks in Australia is that we're really indebted, particularly because of rising house prices and everyone's getting used to these low interest rates and just gearing up to the hilt. So what's the worst case scenario here? If the gloomy prognosis plays out, how could it come back to bite the average Australian?
2: a slowdown in China would hit iron ore prices and and hit our economy. So we'd see slower economic growth and that would translate over time to job losses. And as you said, we're heavily indebted, particularly around housing. So job losses are sort of our Achilles heel because that would make it harder for people with very big mortgages to pay those mortgages back. And and that's where you'd see a, a sort of crack in the economy. The debt ceiling would hit America first, but it would flow through to us because there would just be sort of a paralysis almost on global financial markets, and we'd feel the pain from that too, much like we did in the GFC. Our high level of housing debt just makes us vulnerable Mm. to shocks if they spilled into the economy and started causing job losses.
0: Well, yeah, there's also the interest rate question there, because if they, for some reason, needed to be put up kind of quickly, which the RBA says they won't, but... Global interest rates could go up, which could affect mortgages. That could be massively problematic. Where do you land in all of this, James? What's your point of view? How bullish, optimistic, or bearish, pessimistic are you about what's happening right now? Do you think we should be worried?
2: I think we need to be alert, but not alarmed, to to (laughs) use a bit of a tired phrase. I don't see the Evergrande issue as a Lehman Brothers moment. I think the Chinese government have had enough time to see it coming, and they've got massive resources that they will be able to put a sort of ring fence around Evergrande and and stop the spillover into the broader economy. The debt ceiling, it looks like we've got a reprieve now that'll kick it out till December. And so we'll go through this whole charade in December. And it happens every time they play a game of chicken, they get on with it. Exactly. I just don't think there's any way that either side of politics in the US would allow a default. It would just be so catastrophic. So if we can get through these issues and energy prices start to normalise a little bit, I think the good news for Australia is that we're going to come out of lockdowns in Melbourne and Sydney towards the end of the year. And that should sort of unleash a fair bit of pent-up demand in the economy. So if we can get through these little points of concern in the next few months then Australia's got this economic rebounds to look forward to which is um which is a bit of good news
0: mate we'll be drinking crownies by christmas i reckon <laughs> with any luck with any luck
3: James Thompson there, columnist for the Australian Financial Review. I love ending on a positive note. Just have some crownies. Don't don't think about it. Head in the sand. Never think about it again. Drink some beer. It's all good. And part of me does want to take that approach. Another part of me, though, is, is I'm glad that we are talking about something like this because a butterfly flaps its wing in China and it impacts suddenly our tax dollars and the roads that we're driving on. I think he put it really well when he said that.
0: Yeah, I agree with his analysis, though, that This happening in China is a very different context to America because of the spending power and the control of the Chinese government and that we could be insulated a bit more from what happens there. But it will be a rocky few weeks or months just to keep an eye on this stuff and hope that it doesn't have bigger effects somewhere like here. Tomorrow on The Briefing, how long until ordinary Australians can fly into space? Listener.